HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, the best-selling Irish single malt in the U.S. The Sexton is an unexpected modern malt for the everyman, rich in hue, approachable in taste, and memorable in character. Learn more at thesexton.com. I'm HRN Communications Director Kat Johnson with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're focusing on water. You'll hear some disturbing news from an NYC investigative reporter. Here lies the problem, how much we don't know about water tanks. Katie Kiefer reports on water woes in the heartland. Their water is heavily polluted with nitrates, which are coming from agricultural chemical applications on fields and running off into their water table. And we'll check in with Dave Arnold, who's about to open a new bar that will serve some pretty fancy H2O. It is hardcore. So pour up a tall glass of ice water and be refreshed by this week's episode of Meat in 3, available on heritageradionetwork.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview someone who works behind the scenes in the food industry about their challenges and successes. Today, I'm speaking with an American who moved to Japan 30 years ago and has just written a comprehensive compendium of recipes from her adopted country. Listen in to hear stories of food, of love, of starting out as the resident bride in her in-law's house and becoming an expert cooking teacher and student of both the land of grandmothers, of chefs, and more. Welcome, Nancy Singleton Hachisu. Thank you, Dina. So happy to so happy to have you here. Yeah, me too. Um, so you were chosen by Fiden to write this gigantic collection of yes. Japanese recipes, and I, I have to say I wondered how that felt to you because, of course, you studied food all over Japan since you arrived in nineteen. 19- 88, mm-hmm. and you've taught cooking, but it just seems like a very daunting task. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it was timing-wise, I was finishing up the my second book, Preserving the Japanese Way, and um, I, of course, you know, knew about Fiden and, and respected them, and they were sort of a, I mean, to the top, and, and to be asked, and to be the, to, to, to be asked as the pr- to be the person that was going to write the Japan book and that they weren't considering asking anybody else. 
um, was very flattering. And um, but did you have any like conflicts? Like I'm not actually a Japanese person, though I'm married to a Japanese person, and I oh, lived here for, you know, in that regard, no, no, no awesome. Never. <laughs> that never crossed your mind. Never in a million years. And uh, that's because you know the culture better than anybody, and you're such a good translator of that no, culture. No, I don't want to say that. Um, it's because, you know. <sighs> Being Japanese is not the criteria for being able to write a Japanese cookbook, actually, um, because um, not all Japanese can cook. Yes. So I'm sure. sorry, but you know, <laughs> and not all Americans can cook, and not all Americans are the arbitrators of American food, and same thing with Japanese. And so, no, I do not know everything about Japanese cooking. You know, I don't, but I um, have a lot of access, and I have. Um, a lot of desire and passion, and so um, I didn't doubt I could write it. I knew it would be a huge project, and it was. <laughs> <laughs> How many recipes are in the uh, in the book? Um, over four hundred. I, 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 um, I, I, I it was supposed to be at least three fifty, uh-huh. and I capped it me- mentally at four hundred. Um, and I actually just. I think there's more than 400, but it was I was not going to give really more than 400 because that was the limit. <laughs> I love the, the the mental numbers, what you stuck with, actually, regardless of what is truly in this book. Um, I was interested in the way you talked about building relationships in order to make this book come to life. In America, the notion of you know building relationships over a year or two years in order to, you know, get a recipe from someone would, I think, be unimaginable. But can you talk about the Japanese notion of relationship building? Yeah, actually, that's the, was the hardest part because, um, <clears throat> first of all, if you introduce somebody, so if I introduce you to somebody, I am 100% responsible for you and for everything you do going forward. That sounds like a lot. Yeah. And so I really try to, uh, and so for my introductions are not given lightly and um, it's been hard over the years sometimes. I bet. You're like, <laughs> you know, I like you, but not enough to vouch for you for the next 10 years. And then you have to control them. And some people, uh, foreigners, when I talk about foreigners, I mean non-Japanese, even you explain it many times, they still don't really understand and they still screw it up in some way (laughs) and it becomes a bit of a problem and you know actually truly the Japanese are so forgiving in this way and so it's more forgiving in what way well so somebody you know acts badly a little bit or not doesn't you know follow the culture as I've asked them to do (laughs) and I feel badly or embarrassed for that bad act (laughs) <laughs> you know, and that, but the Japanese are very forgiving, you know, about that. Um, and so it's more, I feel badly. Did you have to cultivate patience, you know, coming from the States in order to, you know, adopt this sort of point of view? Absolutely. And I've been there for 30 years. And so it was really a work in progress. And I, I grew up in a family of six. You know, my parents were kind of beatniky intellectuals, and so yelling was our form of communication. Uh-huh. And, and, and I think that's probably what attracted me about Japan. And, and I wasn't specifically going there looking for a lifestyle change by any means, but um, I knew there was something about Japan and Japanese culture that was very compelling and maybe something that I needed to adopt in some way. And I, right off the bat when I went there, and I went there because I wanted to learn Japanese and I love sushi and I was going to go to graduate school, but... Did not. 
I, of course, like many of us, was very interested in Zen. (laughs) And I wanted to go practice Zen, you know, because I I, I guess I did really want that a little bit more quiet in my life and stop being the yeller. Um, Americans like to argue a lot. Have you noticed that? Um, And I hate to argue, so (laughs) yes, I've noticed that. I started, I hate to argue too now, but before I was just one of the arguers. But um, nobody practices Zen. This is like not a thing. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I mean, should I say nobody? I mean, of course, somebody's practicing Zen, but it was not, you know, the the thing people do in everyday life. And they actually, and they call it Zazen, not Zen. And so there was some communication difficulties. I did do it a few times at this this uh, Zen temple, and then I was like, "This is just I'm just pretending to do this. This is ridiculous." <laughs> and I never went to, I never prayed at a temple again because I thought it was just like pretending to pray, you know. Right. So, um, and I don't know about where we got to that, but um, no, I, I, I and slowly acquired um, understanding and knowledge of the customs, and I, uh, I also like there's this big gift giving thing and. I don't give perfunctory gifts. I um, I would give homemade gifts rather than those days when I was first there. Was um, you commonly would get soap and detergent, these weird boxes of things that, and it's not the soap or detergent I would ever use, right? And so I didn't know. That's that was very unusual. I guess it's practical. Practical, so it seems, practical. Yeah, yeah, there's gift giving seasons. Right. So and I didn't know there's a soap season. <laughs> <laughs> there was a great one. My first was there too. That was uh, blankets. Or or towel towel blankets. They're really cool. Oh, I love that. I got that from I got when we did the house renovation. I got them from my mother in law. She still had them in boxes. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I just yeah. Talking about Zen uh, makes me think of uh, one of the two people that you relied on yeah. upon quite a bit yeah. in putting together this book, and and that uh, is a, a nun. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me about connecting with her and yeah. the, her point of view on recipes mm-hmm. and how you brought that forth? Harumi Kawaguchi, she was, um, doing, I met her, gosh, uh, in 2008, I guess. Um, she was doing a little, um, shojin Yori restaurant. That's temple food cooking at our local soy sauce company up in the hills. And, um, they had a small uh, house ne- near the place, and they, and they had. She could only come uh, twice a month, and uh, we ate there uh, occasionally. And it was just, and it was only two seatings, and it was just. Mm-hmm. Her food was so clear and beautiful, and you know, with with um, chefs or or good cooks, you eat their food and you know them as a person yes. through their food, right? And so. She just was such a beautiful person. Her food was so beautiful. And she had all those sensibilities that I love that, you know, that's similar to like Alice Waters or those people that, you know, that's the kind of food that that I want to eat is not the food that I cooked. And they were, she was using the local ingredients. And then we invited her to, I was inv- quite involved in slow food at the time. I had my own convivium group. Um, and we had a thing at my house and I invited her to come and um, she came, and then a few months later, we got this, and she's a handwritten letter per- person. Oh, we lovely. got this letter, and of course, I can't read it, you know, because I'm a very <laughs> lazy Japanese reader. And then, and, um, and uh, she said she had been so inspired by our passion about food because she actually lives, she was living in the city at the time. Yeah. And so, um, and you live in rural Japan. Yeah, and so she um, was so inspired by our passion about food and so she went back into the nunnery 
to do more food because there's an element of I don't quite understand it. You know, I always, it's, for me, it's a need to know basis. You know, I, I have not gotten to find out that information, but you, I, in the nunneries or the monasteries, there's an element of food in the, in the Zen uh, sure. religion, you know. So um, she went back in to do more about food. Wow. wow. Right? You sent her to a nunnery? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and then she came out to, to and gave you some recipes. Right, right. So I went to visit her. I was thinking to put a little section of Shojin Rori in the book. Um, and I ran into her. And we, I had looked for her and looked for her. I couldn't find her on the internet because she's not internet focused. And then finally, she's, I, I ran into her at, a few years ago at this ceremony at Meiji Jingu where the guy cuts down the carp. Have you heard of this? And don't touch the, don't touch the fish. And he's from the Shijo family, um, from Shijo Dori in Kyoto, 34th generation. Wow. Amazing people. Yeah. And I reconnected with her. I was so excited to see her. And then two years later, which we're, I think we're talking uh, 2015, in January, at the beginning of my the book project, or might have been 2016, you know, uh, <laughs> years they go by, maybe 2016. And I, I asked her, it was really hard to ask, like, I real, I'm writing a book and I, and I want to, I want to write a Shoji Nuri book next, next. And I, again, it's the asking thing, you know, so, and I don't know the situation. I wanted to go visit her and have her cook Shoji Nuri that I could taste and maybe see her do it. So hard to ask. And so I did. And, and it's hard to ask because you don't want to put someone on the spot. Also, I didn't know the situation so well. Yeah. You know, as it turns out, she doesn't cook shoji nori every day. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, just, they eat regular old Japanese food, mm-hmm. and it's a very... She cooks for two temples. Wow. And there's only... But there's only a couple priests and residents. And so... <clears throat> and so... Um, and she doesn't live at the temples. I bet she has her own place because the priests live there. And... Um, sorry, I'm a little tickle in my throat and um, she invited me to stay at her house she sent me this fax about where what's happening with the temple situation we set the date um, but then she sent me where the temples are where, what was the situation and that I could stay at her house and that she would make me <clears throat> make a meal and I did not realize she was making it only for me oh my goodness and it's very there's it's a prescribed cooking and there's you know, maybe 12, oh my 15 dishes. Goodness. And she made each one only for me. That's so beautiful. I though. know. That's so special. Oh, my God. And so and she served it to me in this special room um, facing the garden. And um, we, I was <laughs> moved and kind of like, oh, my God, I asked her this huge thing. And then, and I, you know, we, we spent a lot of time together over the two, the two days and, 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 um, and I asked her about, you know, my future project of, of, of doing the book and coming back for each season, bringing the photographer. We did take the, come with a photographer. And she was really excited, actually, to have her food in, a, in, in, a, in another book. Um, she had written a Shojin Rudy book, and we have uh-huh. it. But then, the long story of it, she handed me this book on my way out of town. And it is a book she had written before becoming a nun. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How old was she when she became a nun? <clears throat> I don't know. Well, whatever. Yeah. So um, so she had written a book, and then... And it, it was Kenko Ryori, so healthy food. Mm. And um, I um, I handed it to my son. I, I, I saved it while I was looking at it, and I just, you know, lazy Japanese speakers, uh, writer, reader, 
whatever, reader, writer. Um, and I gave it to my son who was uh, in between jobs and living, he lives at home, uh, which many Japanese kids do. And uh, asked him to mark, and he's, he has a really great palate. And I asked him to mark anything that was delicious, came back with 100 marks in it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, right. And so, and it's like a 280 recipe book or 260 recipes. And, um, and then I had my assistant uh, um, record it. And I started um, transcribing the recipes, but I think you'll really appreciate this. They weren't recipes per se. They were listing of ingredients, uh-huh. no proportions. Oh, my goodness. Golden, right? <laughs> Golden. And then Elizabeth Davidy style of sure. method. And so Disc- little descriptions. So I could, and I asked her, could I use some of this material? And she says, yes. And so I could channel her I really tried to make the flavor as I felt like she would it was not a Nancy Hachisu book and but then you know of course it can't take me out of the equation and um and it's through your palate yeah exactly and your precision because having right. no I mean that has very little to start with but at least you have the ingredients right <laughs> right and so I transcribed the whole book and then I made recipes uh, I selected the ones that were going to go in the book and then I sat at the computer and I just made the recipes as I thought right and then I tested them all and they were 80% perfect as written That's so that was one skill I have <laughs> well, yeah. one of I think I think confidence is also a skill to know that you can oh, do you this go. you know there which you is yeah, yeah, um, yeah. not everybody has that one right right I was fascinated by the fact that you tried to get grandmothers to give you recipes. Uh, so yeah. you had great luck with a nun, which would not <laughs> be the first place I would think that that person's going to you know, either have 200 or whatever recipes to share, nor that she would be necessarily so much of this world that that would be a great resource, particularly since she was doing temple cuisine. But when you go to the grandmothers, who I would think, oh, grandmothers, they're always the source of great recipes, yeah. and particularly in... Japan, when you were doing, um, I mean, you describe it as a framework to understa- understand Japanese cuisine rather than, you know, like, this is what it is. Yeah. But the grandmothers were not very helpful. Well, you know, I started out uh, the first, I knew it was going to be a huge project. And so I started working right away before I even had a, a contract inked. And um, I, the first place I, and I started by separating out the country of where I had chef contacts. Uh-huh. I admired and and we had the same i uh ideas about food mm-hmm. and they were you know used local ingredients and um, some of them were frenchy japanese chefs or some were italian japanese and that was <clears throat> and then they also knew the local people and i knew i would have to travel at least um two to three times last time with a photographer mm-hmm. and i started along that way and the first place i went was um where this uh, Teiko Watanabe, who ended up, she was a, a well-known cook grandmother that had events. Uh-huh. You see. Gotta so, love a grandmother with events. <laughs> yeah, right? And it was events through this chef I know and these iron pot and iron kettle people. Oh, right. You yeah. said the iron works yeah. was the connection right. to her. And, you know, um, I have loads of footage and tapage and notage, um, but uh, and I she's not necessarily my perfect style of cooking, but she was a really good cook. Right, I knew that, and so and this is again not a Nancy Hachisu book. It's all of the food that that was delicious. I wanted to put in the, in the book. That was the criteria, and uh, delicious and authentic. And um, 
but speed up another year. And um, I had all that material. I went twice to these events. Um, and that in that case, you can get a framework for a recipe and then I could ask her to check, you know. But I was looking through, by then I knew I was using this sort of 70s, 80s material. I was going to be drawing from written material because, yes, uh, the grandmas were lovely and we sat together and some places um, they did cook for me, but it was, you know, maybe not the most, most delicious. And, but, you know, it's more like, oh yeah, this is, we make this and we make this and we make this and we make this, but we make them at New Year. (laughs) Or we make them at Obon. This is the summertime. And then how could I say, well, I'm going to come back here two months from now and are you going to cook for me all day? Well, who, who can ask such a thing? Right. No, no. You know. yeah. So, um, but I discovered that I, of the one other Japanese cookbook besides um, the Kawaguchi-san's book was, that I liked and that Andrew liked. Uh-huh. That's was, your son. <laughs> <laughs> my, yeah, my uh, taste arbitrator son was one that uh, this, this, this cooking teacher, 80-year-old cooking teacher had written too. Amazing. I, so why 70s and 80s? Well, because that was the material that, that I found best. And, and, and but why do you think sources. it was best? Oh, well, because those are the bubble years. Oh, look at it. The you know, the forties they still didn't have food. Right. Really, fifties finally there was actual food. Mm-hmm. You know, and because the war had a, um, decimated Japan, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then seventies uh, um, the food. I mean, leisure. The seventies, eighties were a really affluent time. You know, and. The women's had leisure. Now, many women, probably a majority of women work. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, maybe it's not a majority, but but even the grandmothers of, of the kids in my little, I have a little preschool, they've worked, you know? Uh-huh. And so working means less cooking. Right. And less passing on. And then, but so 70s and 80s was still a time of, okay, it was affluence. Food was better, mm-hmm. frankly. Um there's a lot of sesame in this. The, the raw materials were better. The vegetables were better. It, there's resurgence now because of what people see is happening and the back to nature people and the sort of hip, semi-hippie movement and the and the stuff coming from the, from abroad of focusing on food, how much food focuses. But anyway. So do you think that the 90s and the, th- I mean, the 90s and uh, the 00s were just like a, a, a downslope? A downslope? Totally, yeah. Wow. I arrived in 88, and one of the first... Oh my God, you arrived just at the wrong so time. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right, and, and, and uh, when it, I was really surprised by the mixture of home cooking at a gathering and takeout. Uh-huh. Whether it's a bento takeout or Kentucky Fried Chicken Ooh, yeah! It was an idea that that would take burn out. a slow food lady's heart. Oh my god! <laughs> the first one of the first, yeah, I was really shocked at what could I say? You know, I had only had fried uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken I think once in my life in childhood with a uh, some friends' family. You know, understandable. Um, yeah, the 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 mixture, and I would ask them like, you know, your home cooking is so good. Why do you order these? prefab bentos to these things and uh, they'd say oh well you know it's better for the guests that we have these and it's sim- partially lack of confidence uh-huh. which is I think undermines many people 
for cooking. And that's, I think, the trouble now in Japan is like, oh, I can't, you see it on TV, the perfect omelet, the perfect this, the perfect that. And I actually, it's worldwide. You yes, know? I agree. It's worldwide. Yeah. Confidence and, and also lack of interest and uh, so okay. many other options. Right. Right. So and then diversity. Like you might be, if you're a home cook, you might be great at a chicken and some green beans. And, but, you know, you have your world of food and you want to step outside of it. Yeah. You know, but I've been reading and cooking from cookbooks since I was like 10. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's how I learned to cook. And so, yeah, I have... I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cookbooks. I don't use them so much anymore because I'm really focused on writing books or now, I mean, I've been cooking so much that I'm cooking really simply now. (laughs) Frankly, two for sandwich tonight sounds really good. I think that's the evolution. Yeah, right. My 30s and 40s, major, 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 you know, 20s, but... um, uh, Now you're on to tuna fish. It's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with tuna fish. Yeah. But... um, uh, so that's a big message of in my books, and also I do media in Japan. Um, I'm fortunate to be um, a long-term foreigner who um, really values Japanese food culture, and I also don't uh, gloss gloss it up. I mean, I tell it how it is. There's good and the bad, and I think that's really important because if you say everybody in Japan is eating seasonally, that's just bullshit, you know? And um, if you say that, then you're you're stopping the ability for this to come back. Right. You know? And as you said, I think there's also the global movement to embrace um, embrace the seasons, embrace the farms, and certainly with um, the book you've created and your past books, there's so much emphasis on um, vegetables, and there's so much Right, there's incredible, a lot of vegetables in this. A lot yes. of vegetables yeah. in this. Yeah, me too. Um, I um, want to ask one question then we're going to take a quick break so so much of the food in this book and so much of uh, Japanese cooking is based on having access to spectacular ingredients um, and that is everything from there's a lot of aubergine slash eggplant in the in the book or sesame seeds the things where I trip up just as the basics of cooking Japanese food at home which I like to try to do um, is the mirin um the, the quality of the soy, mm-hmm. um, the quality of the rice vinegar. Absolutely. I, I find that um, I, I have access to the most commercialized versions, which mean that they're quite sweet or um, they're not very subtle. Yep. And I was l- hoping to get from you recommendations of either sources, which would yep. be the best places to find brand names just for so that p- listeners can... Uh, really sort of achieve the closest thing Mm -hmm. to the Japanese cooking that they can in America. Because if you have that foundation, um, it's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, So my first recommendation is avoid the Asian groceries and go for the health food stores. First, number one. Huge. Yeah. Wow. Why is that? Because the Asian grocery stores products came over um, and they were poor quality and never have got... And then... They have not gotten out of that poor quality paradigm. That's not across the board, but that's a generalization. Whereas the um, the uh, '70s macrobiotic movement brought over the uh, the better products, and there's um, you know the, who's the guy in in Boston? There's uh, Osawa, and then there's that other guy, and I've just totally spaced it out. On, on, but um, anyway, so. 
that's number one. And it, Whole Foods, I think you can go for Eden. Okay. And they do a good job. Um, the, the Japanese pantry in San Francisco, they've got an online site. I'm a big fan of online shopping, frankly, because I don't like to drive. But, <clears throat> and I just don't like to waste time. But um, the Japanese pantry is... That's a great source, then. A really great source. It has the most fabulous sesame products in the whole world, Wadaman. Yes, it's expensive. The oil is like ambrosial. You can drink it like lovely olive oil. You'll go crazy. I'm, I'm so, so ready. Like my, crazy. my fingers are, They're are in twitching. I have some in my bag. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the seeds, I mean, the seeds here are rancid or yes. cracked or just horrible. Um, soy sauce, um, our local soy sauce is repackaged by Goldmine um, in, in another online source. And Goldmine in San Diego has a whole gamut of Osawa products. Again, well-made. Um, Mitoku is selling uh, the meeting Mirin that I use, Mikawa Mirin, best in the world. Of course, there's other small ones, but best best available meeting. It is about what's available, right? Because I, you know, I find Roland, and I'm like, I just this isn't helping my food. Yeah, exactly. And you know, frankly, that was bought. I asked uh, Daniel Gritzer to buy it on it on Amazon. I found it and said, go buy this because I can't bring any bottles, and I'm getting all the bottle stuff when I get to San Francisco and I, you know, but, um, so the Nama show you, uh, that gold mine uh, repackages, it's a, got a yellow ochre label and script widely available. Um, the guys doing, and that's our local soy sauce. Amazing. amazing. Yeah. Rice vinegar. Yes. Please do not use the ones that start with M. Okay. <laughs> Am I allowed to say the name? Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Meets, meets, uh, 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 Spacing out, <laughs> but it starts with an M. People. Yeah, right. yeah. No, not Mitoku. It's the a, ones that are in everybody's closet. Um, it's like M A K. Okay. Well, we don't know. Yeah, but, but uh, you guys out there, you probably know. Just right. don't get that don't one. Don't get that one. Yeah, it's made from ethyl alcohol, and I mean, just horrible stuff. Um, Eo Jozo has is my the vinegar I use. It's it's available through Japanese Pantry. Otherwise. Eden does a really good job in, in, in uh, they get Japanese products and put them into their bottles. Um, they've got a brown rice vinegar. I don't know if they've got a, a, a white rice, maybe. Um, I was interested that brown rice isn't popular at all. No. In no, Japan's like no. a tiny, yeah. tiny portion. I tiny, think tiny. Uh, Americans aren't so interested in brown rice per se. I like brown I prefer it myself. You do? You like the I like flavor. the texture. Yeah. The texture. Okay, we're going to, I, I just, I had to know that because, um, I feel like that unlocks everything. Oh, yeah. before... Um, yeah, so get those products. And get those products. And, and substitute for Japanese vegetables that you don't have. Right. Substitute what you have locally. There's something that is like fasolati dough that's actually oh, right, right, right. susum. No, no. You know, I've um, loved it in two interviews already. Wait, it's <laughs> aiueo is, the, is the, the vowels. And then sa, shi, su, se, so... Is the acronym and uh, what does that stand mnemonic? For? I mean, mnemonic. Um, it's the flavors in Japanese cuisine. Sa means sato, sugar, and in this case, it's um, I probably getting uh, it's meeting for me. Um, sa shi is salt, shio, salt. Um, su. su, thank you. <laughs> su is vinegar. Sa shi su se salt se. Seju is uh, the old word for soy sauce, and so is miso. 
So I love that because if you, if you can remember um, sugar or mirin, salt or shio, um, su or vinegar, um, sio or soy sauce, and so for miso, you actually have the foundations sweet, salty, um, umami. Right. And that way, you. That's the foundation of so many dishes. When that's I look true. at the when I look at the ingredients, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, did you come up with that, or is no, that no, something, no, no, is no. that something the school children learn? <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I flub it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's uh, it's part of Japanese um, it's cooking. It's, it's foundational. Yes, okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what it is like to be. Um, an American living in Japan, married to or organic farmer, and that that lifestyle. Okay. Stay with us. I'm Souther Teague of Moria Margo and co-host of The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, a new and unexpected modern malt for the everyman. The whiskey is made from 100% Irish malted barley, triple distilled for smoothness in copper pot stills, and consciously aged for four years in Oloroso sherry butts. My favorite part about the Sexton is that sherry influence from those Oloroso sherry butts. They're the large sherry uh, barrels that have been used, and then the, uh, the whiskey gets aged in them for four years, giving them this sort of nutty, almost savory quality. Um, the copper pot still makes for an extremely smooth finish. Um, I like it in a highball or just neat. Uh, every time I have a sip, I, I want another one. So next time you're gathered with friends or posted up at your favorite bar, reach for The Sexton, the best-selling Irish single malt in North America. You can learn more at thesexton.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Dana Cowan and this episode of Speaking Broadly. I have as my guest Nancy Singleton Hachisu. I'm so excited to hear about um, your life in Japan at when I was at Food and Wine, we came to visit you uh-huh. because that lifestyle seemed so exceptional. Mm-hmm. You know, dreamy, I think, puts too, um, too soft a filter on it <laughs> because, yeah. in yes. fact, it's a lot of work. Well, you know, yes and no. Um, we chose to sort of uh, not do our life in the traditional way because it is a lot of work and in fact farmers can't find wives is that right yeah that's very sad yeah because nobody wants no Japanese girl wants to be a wife of a farmer because it's a lot of work so an American girl is like yeah I can handle it because <laughs> I don't know <laughs> that's right <laughs> and because we have weeds in the field and because we're not perfect people and um, you know as time goes on I thought my, my husband becomes more traditional so <laughs> yeah that's I'm, interesting is that a surprise uh, no, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a little bit hard to deal with, but, uh, um, I've become more, um, non-confrontational, like, I don't like to argue and things like that, but, um, he, he enjoys it because, because he learned it from me. <laughs> Where <laughs> did I start? There's an interesting cultural exchange <laughs> right, there. Right. So I, I know that in the early years of your marriage and when you had, um, your three boys, your husband was working, I mean, he had to work the seasons because that's what one does. And he really never left the farmers. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, actually, um, when we were first sort of negotiating this, you know, marriage, of course, I'm the American. I'm like a contract. Okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to do that. We're going to do this. And um, it has not all 
I've gone back on most of them actually, <laughs> but and he famously tells tells stories about that. But um, one of the things I asked is like um, about um, leisure, and I said, "Do you never take a day off, like to just sit and read your book or something?" And he says, "No, never." Like, oh my god! Well, so if I do that, am I going to be the lazy American? You know? And actually, it's turned out that I don't do that either. Like, I I can't sit. I want to do my work. I wait for my <clears throat> day off so that I can, because I have a little school, you know, but I never am not working and, and we don't really socialize except for I have, you know, dinner parties for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and maybe one other time. Um, but uh, uh, I found, I find this lifestyle actually really comfortable. And so my social life is in when I've traveled, that's it. But And what is it like to immerse yourself so completely in a culture that is radically different you know where where leisure isn't a value which i feel like that is the primary american value like you work hard so you can play right right, whatever that is you know soccer swim i don't know right well i guess i work hard and i i'm very compartmentalized when when i work on something i'm only working on that and so i like working and then when i come to the states it's like partially work partially social you know it's like you can't separate it but um i uh feel like we picked and chose the pieces of the culture and that's what made it and like my lifestyle now is very similar to how I grew up like we have a in what I, I grew up in a modern um, house uh, that was actually built with many modern Japanese sensibilities and I didn't really realize that at the time there was a courtyard in the middle it was all all oiled redwood, redwood and glass doors all around the whole house <clears throat> and but it was sort of a messy lifestyle an actual messy house <laughs> with six kids and a similar thing um, messy lifestyle maybe dusty house but um, you know we homeschooled we do our sorts of odd things um, and so as and luckily I mean maybe that's why my husband and I came together is we both had unconventional ideas and we made our lifestyle and he had traveled abroad he had lived in Brazil and he had traveled to North Korea and a fair mission and China and he was an out of the box thinker and maybe that's why he married me because I made him more normal yes I you think know? by comparison right, he's probably right, right, right. Um, and you did spend a, a bit of time traveling mm-hmm. every year taking the kids yeah do, do they feel um, the pull of the states are they I know one son is living with you but <laughs> yeah so the funny thing is they all at the you know sort of end of teenager time they Oh, my mother dragged me around the world. Poor me. You know? <laughs> and then, like, when they get together with what, the oldest son and the youngest son came here for um, college, and then they find out that actually this is a super cool thing to do. Oh, it wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, one um, came to college here uh, and went back to Japan and has a Japanese wife that he met in America. Oh, my goodness. And his baby. And then the, what, the other one's at uh, UMass Amherst. And... He has announced that he's never going to live in Japan again. You know, maybe London. He did an internship there, but, um, and the, but the the oldest son he has an intention of perhaps coming here for a few years, um, and then the the middle son he was just in New York for two and a half weeks and he said he got homesick after about ten days. Really? <laughs> so I don't know. They they I, I <clears throat> we homeschooled them so they would feel deeply Japanese because my husband's very is. Traditional but modern, and then um, also 
traveled with them so they would have a connection with America and feel comfortable here and be, be bicultural. You you live with your in-laws. I mean, you renovated the house. Yeah, we lived. Lived. They're no longer with us. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah. But um, I know that people thought that your mother-in-law had taught oh, you to cook. Yes. Which... So, who repeats these stories? <laughs> I never wrote that, actually. It's so funny. It is funny. Is yeah. it because mother-in-laws traditionally in Japan teach their daughters-in-law yeah. to cook? Yes, is that a thing? It's also because in Japanese farm food, my mother-in-law, I wrote the book with her still alive. And then she died... Um, when I write the year, the time of handing in, and I didn't want to rewrite it in the past tense. Oh my goodness! And so I put a little fic- picture of her, and and said I think it was remembering Bachan, and <clears throat> I think that people don't read very well. Yes, they look at the very pictures closely, very closely. <laughs> they saw the me. picture and they're like, yeah. wow. And also, yeah. yes, it's a lovely idea to think of, and and a few people have said it. And the thing about the internet never goes away. That's true. It just keeps so, coming back. Yeah, so right? I try to correct that. But yeah, I had always wanted to write cookbooks because I learned from cookbooks and I like to write. And so when I was, I, when I was ready to do this, um, I um, was going to write, a, I wanted to write a cookbook about like the food that my husband cooked mm-hmm. and that Actually, I was more of an assistant. I was not the main Japanese cook because I was cooking all the other countries' food. I was way into confit and I was making my own <laughs> sausages. But um, chorizo, you know, um, and so um, and I only liked a few people's Japanese food. I liked the men's food. The women's and how, food how is sweet. it? How like it. I was going to say, how does the men's food differ from the women's well, food? Well, typically, men, um, older women tend not to drink. Mm-hmm. And so it matches tea as mm-hmm. opposed to sake or beer. And uh, there's just... The older women's food, a lot of them, was very sweet. Like some, like, really sweet. And that sugar's kind of a new ingredient in Japan. Right. You know, so, um, and not particularly to my taste, but I have learned that, you know, like with really good meeting, mirin, sorry, um, if I, I use a, a, a proportion of two soy sauce or two miso to one part meeting and mm-hmm. the mirin if they're equally um, well made and equally mm-hmm. flavorful the mirin just mitigates the salt and makes it into this beautiful fusion so it's sort of like the perfect togetherness and um, it sounds like your marriage that's great <laughs> <laughs> two different sides you know round each other out right 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 so um, anyway so I would I would say to my husband, okay, I'm going to make nikujaga, um, which is a really standard dish. And I just wasn't, you know, he's making it. I'm not so interested. We're busy, you know. So he'd say, okay, he'd just take his hand, and I'd be catching him on the fly because he had a little, he had a free-range egg business. And, and, okay, he motion with this many, this much meat, this much uh, onion, and this much um, shirataki, and then the, the, the noodles, and then glug glug soy sauce and, and some, <laughs> some ginger and, and some sake and done or something like that and so um, I would get all my ingredients out and then I'd make it I, I would remember what he said and then make it how I felt as well because I, I and and then I would measure it afterwards how much had I put in and I took a taste it and that's how I wrote the recipe but then I evolved into just writing the recipe um, out of my head mm-hmm. because you know, recipes, they have to be logical. And, yes. they, and and so much of you can taste food without 
actually tasting it in some, you know, I think that that's as you go along, you know, experienced. And so um, that's how it sort of segued into. But basically... Um, when did men learn to cook? Because you said he was an excellent cook. I mean, is that something that, like, do Japanese boys, you know, get taught uh, by somebody? Depends on the family. So farming families... Yes. Uh, the parents work and mm-hmm. the grandparents um, take with care of the children. Mm-hmm. And so his grandmother was a really good cook. His mother was um, never had the true love of cooking. Mm-hmm. And it, she, apparently she was very good at pickling and preserving, but I missed the window on that. Um, so <laughs> so I, I, I called uh, those that sort of techniques from my, my local friends. But anyway... Um, he there was three boys in the family, no girls, uh-huh. and so the kids were taught to cook and clean by the grandmother, and she was an excellent cook, and she also um, had a the grandparents had great sensibilities about the you know, about the stuff they had in the house, and they and the grandmother um, made her own cloth, uh, her own s- s- really amazing designs, silk, beautiful colors you can't imagine, and his mother did too, but she had a l- less of a sense. And your husband also makes pottery, right? So you have, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, He's very artistic, yes. And so do all the sons. But the two younger ones um, have let it go. My oldest son continues. And, a beautiful yeah. tradition. Mm-hmm. When you were living in you know, rural Japan rather than Tokyo, did anything about that, that pace of life, did it seem more old-fashioned, more other than it would have? Do you feel if you were in a city? No, I'm not really. I mean, I did live in San Francisco for um, eight years after college, and uh, but I grew up on a woodsy lot, so it wasn't. And, and I but... and I would never marry a salaryman and live in Tokyo. You just please kill me first. <laughs> no. <laughs> one of, one of the things that you said, um, in a piece, I I think it was actually for for food and wine, was how over time, uh, you know, you you had your ideals about what you wanted to do and mm-hmm. how you were working in the time you had sort of segmented off to do your own work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over time, you became more drawn to the farm, and one of your goals was to be closer to thinking and acting in the way that your uh-huh. husband did, yeah. uh, which I thought was fascinating because one could evolve in all kinds of directions. You could mm-hmm. evolve and say... I'd actually like to travel six months of the year. Yeah. But in fact, somehow being of this place um, made you want to be more of this place. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, how do you think that came about? Well, um, you know, I think that uh, uh, growing up in a sort of loosey-goosey family, there was, there's, we were allowed to sort of do what we wanted in some way, and so I didn't have a lot of self-discipline. And although I managed to you know, get to a good college, I still had really poor... Habits and so um, and the strength of character that it takes to do what my husband does um, is was so remarkable and he he, he so unflinchingly does is so and sometimes it's really irritating frankly because <laughs> you know, he's so perfect but um, he's not perfect but um, I wanted to be I didn't want to be a flaky twenties I didn't mm-hmm. I wanted to um, push myself and not just say, oh, I want the vegetables and I'm, you know, you go off and do it. I, I just felt like it's important to keep pushing yourself even though you can't do it perfectly. And that's a 
big message I feel that you know you need to forgive yourself and I haven't been able to and part of traveling which you know gets in the way of of planting or of of harvesting or and, and I haven't really truly gone to the field since I started writing books because I mean I go pick something you know but I cannot grow something because I'm not or sometimes my the the deadlines when you have writing deadlines and this is not something that my husband actually can understand because it's not a you know that's not a relevant part of our life like if you have to do this you need to do that and that's the same thing with Japanese life that people will come by and I mean I'll hide (laughs) (laughs) but that that if somebody comes by you have to be you, you drop everything and they do and you just, like, you have all the time in your world, and you don't have this deadline that something's due at 5 o'clock, and if you don't get it in, you're going to be in really trouble. I, I you can't be busy. I know you had said that um, in households, someone stays home. Right. So that they can receive right. guests if they right. happen to come over. That right. seems extremely inconvenient right. to me. <laughs> right. Well, we don't actually do that anymore, but, um, yeah, in our, but our house is always unlocked. So someone could stop by if they <laughs> right, chose to. Right, right, right. But, um, uh, yeah, that's a part of the beautiful things about Japanese life and, 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 and about Japanese culture. And what do you think when, when people come to visit and they have this expectation in their mind because you've described it and you've written about it, and um, what do you think the biggest surprise to them is when they come and actually you know, exist in your life and landscape? Um, my friend Sylvan Brackett, the first time she he came, um, he had Serene Tato in San Francisco, and he was he was working at Japanese, and then he was starting his catering business. He came to, and he goes, "Oh, Nancy." I mean, in those days, I really was a lot on the field, and he's like, "Oh," he thinks of me as like an Atherton girl. That, by the way, is like a gentleman, gentlewoman farmer, you know. <laughs> and, and no, I'm not a farmer. Please get this record straight. He goes, "Oh, Nancy, you 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 really are a farmer," you know. I was not really, but but he was surprised at the actual rusticness of the whole thing. Um, the it, it's more like people think I'm still living the Japanese farm food life, which was part of our life. But um, I the book that you wrote, <coughs> right? And then the preserving. This. I'm not Sandra Katz. Sandra Katz came to visit us, and he is a master of fermenter, and he is that is his whole. I mean, that's not the sum total of what he is, but um, people come and the, people write me and they want to come work on the farm. Like, how? Why? <laughs> you know, we don't sell vegetables. We just have some vegetables in the field. And, and that's my husband's thing, and he does not want to take care of you. Or they want to help me with my preserving or my pickling. Like, how? You know, I mean, what? And so, yes. These impractical I mean, expectations yeah, of how exactly. they could contribute or be part of this life that just <clears throat> yeah. seems so and dreamy. So, Yes, there's a bunch of really cool pickles in this book, um, but I was very busy with this book. And so I, that was a, my life for two years. And so actually haven't had a chance to do umeboshi because I was in New York both Junes you know, recently, or I was... Which is um, plums. It's very, quite the process <clears throat> to make that perfect plum. Well, not you know, make it, but yeah, it, it's, you, it's, you dry it, salt it, rehydrate yeah, exactly. it. Yeah, no, it's it's no. it's not that. I mean, there's just it's a possibility of of um, I like to keep the salt down, mm-hmm. and that's what you know. Um, and I recently was talking to the to the to the ume guy, the sour plum, so called sour plum guy, 
<clears throat> about they use lots more salt and they somehow uh, regulate that. I still don't quite understand how it could because, but it can mold on top when it's brining. And that, um, it's not actually that hard, but there's some, you know, little pitfalls. But also, it's the most important thing is picking it at the very right moment. Mm-hmm. And every time I ask my husband, <clears throat> Are the ume ready? And he'd say, why don't you go check it? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, I kind of don't really understand when they're ready. (laughs) Right. Because they're, and I think the problem for Americans, I get feedback. Oh, my brine didn't come up. It's probably because the umes being sold in the shops are underripe. So they're they're green and they're underripe, underripe, underripe. And then there's like one day before they fall or before they turn. And that's the one day you do the umeboshi. So... I'm still the That's a very girl s- who can't <clears throat> write. That's a very small window. Exactly. Yes. And are you busy that day? Yes. <laughs> so no umebashi. Yeah. <clears throat> and when you look ahead, because this has been such a big project, are there projects you have on the horizon that you're excited to undertake? Oh, yeah. Well, um, in my travels, there was a huge portion of the photos and travel material and notes and that I um, that did not get into this book. There was some refocusing of the book, and that will go into Food Artisans of Japan. Food Artisans of Japan book that's going to come out with Hardy Grant coming out 2019 fall. Oh, fantastic! So, so you, you kind of got two for the price of one uh, <laughs> one time. Although I guess it doesn't I actually right. really work that way. So and it was a it was a win win in in, in 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 a little bit of a troubling situation. And the, this book is, you know, the better for that the reshaping. Re, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when you look to America. And I don't know how familiar you are with the food seed. Obviously, you have some very deep-shaped Panese connections. Um, but is there someone who, in America or even uh, around the globe who inspires you, a woman in the, uh, the world that we inhabit that you want to pay forward? I always like to end um, the show on paying forward well, to an inspiration. There's nobody else like Alice Waters. I, she must be the dearest, most hardest worker in the whole world, and God, God thank her. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think that she's done that nobody else has been able to do? She's changed the whole world of food. And I don't think people give her enough credit for that. And a lot of people pay lift service, but she really has. And then that fight for the edible schoolyard, damn, she never stops. I mean, that is just awe-inspiring. I mean, I feel like she's like Tadaki, my husband, and that I feel like so, so inadequate compared to that, you know, and, and it's just, I mean, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> and she keeps going. So passionate. I mean, just like, it's, it's really, you know, I'm crying, actually. <laughs> but well, really. Yeah, Alice has indeed um, changed the world and inspired so so yeah, many people. Right, you know, and she is drives the, some people crazy, but <laughs> the Energizer Bunny of the the food movement with such purity, yeah, um, of right. point of view, really unshiftable right. from what I Absolutely. can see, uncompromising about ideals, and. Yeah. It could have turned out a different way, but yeah. the way it, it turned out is everyone conformed, not everyone, but right. we conformed to her ideals. Also, about she's the food most generous now. person that could ever live. 
kindest, most generous, most, you know, warm person. So with that, we're going to conclude this episode of Speaking Broadly. Nancy, thank you so much. If people want to find you on, what's your preference? Preferred medium: Twitter, Instagram. Um, well, I you know, lazily, you know, <laughs> I I post on Instagram at Nancy Hachisu, um, and then I zip it over to Twitter and Facebook. So um, I look at all of them. I have a, a program that tells me about the mentions. Awesome. Yeah. So if you want to reach her, that's where you can find her, and you know where to find me uh, at FW Scout on Twitter and Instagram. Always look forward to hearing from you. Um, Thank you, Carlin Thompson, for being with me today as my um, able social aide. And uh, thank you to Biden. We're in their offices today with an extraordinary view. Um, And everybody, thank you so much for joining us. And see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.